I'm a shitty friend when you get right down to it. Specifically, I'm a shitty friend when my friends request things of me. Like, I don't know, let's just say, uh, ramblings about movies on this podcast. The way it goes is this. A friend will ask, hey, I'd like to hear you talk about this particular movie. And I'll go, sure thing, buddy. And my reaction should be, holy cats, somebody actually listens to this podcast? I should show them my appreciation and get to work on this immediately. Instead, it'll be about a year before I go, ah, uh, well, I guess I'll podcast about this movie now. And then I'll watch the movie, which is the easiest part of the whole process. And right after the movie, I'll sit down in front of the computer, open up the old blogger, stare at the blank white page on the screen for about a few minutes, and then I'll open up another window and spend the next few hours watching YouTube videos featuring cats or dogs or cats and dogs or videos about credit cards or videos about food reviews or videos about video game playthroughs. And okay, wait, 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 wait. Don't get me wrong. I know watching other people play video games sounds kind of lame, but let me clarify myself. Let me defend myself and tell you that I don't watch those stupid let's play videos. You know, the ones where people talk through their playthrough as if I cared about what they have to say as they play. No way. I just want to see somebody beat a game I've had difficulty with in the past just so I can see how to go about it if I were to play that game again. As for the food review videos, I'm very selective. I don't go in for those mukbang or gangbang or whatever they call those videos about people eating on camera. And I certainly don't go in for any of those videos featuring stupid fat fucks making stupid fat fucking faces on the thumbnail next to a picture of a slice of pizza. I'm not going to click on that thumbnail just to watch some stupid fat fuck shoving pizza in his face and go, Oh my God, this pizza be sex on wheels down my throat, son! While I'm in unreasonable hater mode, you know which YouTube videos I will never understand actually having in existence? Reaction videos. Those are the ones where someone or a group of someones will sit and watch a clip of a comedian or a movie trailer or something. These are easy to spot because their thumbnails always consist of that person or persons sitting next to each other making some goofy-ass reaction face. Maybe a couple with their hands up to their mouths while making the oh my god face like people do in movies but never in real life. And usually on the lower right-hand corner is the video to which they're making said reactions. Do you see what I'm doing here? Do you see I'm procrastinating? I'm hesitating, and that's how I do when it comes to other people requesting things of me. It's hard enough to sit my fat ass down to write about stuff I plan to write about, but it really comes down to the plain and simple fact that if I have a choice between spending my time talking about a movie I watched or using that time to just watch another movie, well, sweetie, I don't know how to tell you this, or actually, I do know. I'd rather use my time to watch more movies. And by saying this, by confessing this, I realize that the true enemy is not my procrastination. It is not what I choose to do with my time, but it is time itself that is the bad guy. If I had more time to sit around and watch movies and eventually get around to doing something, that would be great. But instead, time is what it is. The ultimate prison where I'm held in this cage of hours, minutes, seconds, and the clock just keeps ticking ever so forward towards finality. I need more time. Then maybe I can fit in all the stuff I want to do. But alas, time remains something linear and fleeting. For it is but a strict progression of cause to effect. It is not some wibbly-wobbly, timey-wimey stuff in which I can hop back and forth and up and down and everywhere else. Because I am not a time lord. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is how you make a clumsy-ass segue. It's been a worldwide hit for 30 years, and tonight, a sci-fi phenomenon comes to America in the Fox original movie, Doctor Who. 
For over a thousand years, they've been mortal enemies. Now, these two time travelers from different worlds. I'm half human. One good, one pure evil. <laughs> will face each other in a final duel to the death. And the battlefield is Earth. This planet will be pulled inside out. Paul McGann and Eric Roberts in the motion picture event of the year. <laughs> Doctor Who on the Fox Tuesday Night Movie. Requested by my buddy Chris Wallace, at least I hope we're still friends, the 1996 made-for-television film Doctor Who, The Movie, begins with a Time Lord, known only as The Doctor, who is transporting the remains of The Master, who is an evil Time Lord and also the big bad of this entire series. Maybe I should take it back a little bit, in case you're too far from a phone to Google it. This is a show that's been around since the 1960s, and it's about these beings known as Time Lords. They're aliens or demigods or whatever, I don't know. And they have the ability to do the hipping and the hopping around time and space. The series focuses on one particular Time Lord. That would be our boy, the Doctor, going on many different adventures along with his companion, which I guess is the proper English way to say sidekick. They get around in a time and spacecraft called a TARDIS, which looks like a British police box because those were a common sight back during the show's creation in the jolly old. Had the show been created today, he'd probably get around in a food truck. Like James Bond, the Doctor has been played by various actors over the years. But unlike James Bond, they actually acknowledge the change by explaining that the Doctor has to regenerate into a new body whenever there's too much mileage and wear and tear on the current one. Like the James Bond movies, the otherwise consistently released series took a hiatus between the late 80s and the mid-90s. Unlike the James Bond movies, the mid-90s return of Doctor Who resulted in another hiatus that ended up lasting nine years. Also, unlike the James Bond movies, Doctor Who is a television series. I don't know why I even compared the two when they are completely different things. Why did I do that? Because they're both from the UK? That's some embarrassing shit right there. That's like welcoming your British friend to the United States with a boxed set of the best of Benny Hill, assuming your limey pal is going to dig it because, hey, Benny Hill is from the UK too. And let's go get some fish and chips too because that's what you people eat, right? You people. You people. You people. You said you people. What do you mean, you people? What do you mean, you people? Who the hell is us people? That's really fucking embarrassing. And I apologize for that. So let's just move on. So the film begins with the Doctor chilling out in his TARDIS, the remains of the Master stored in a box. But because the Master is literal slime, he, or it, manages to ooze out the box and fuck with the TARDIS so that it has to make an emergency landing on Earth, specifically San Francisco 1999, as played by Vancouver 1996, where we are then introduced to some Asian-American bros having a shootout with other Asian-American bros. I assume they're bros because after shooting at some people, they all give each other high fives. The Doctor arrives, stepping out of his TARDIS just in time to get caught in the crossfire and take a couple slugs to the chest. That's just the preferred way for Americans to greet visiting foreigners. And the sole surviving Asian-American bro on the scene, Chang Lee, calls him an ambulance. Lee must have fallen out of bro love with his bros, because despite his friends having just been killed in the shootout, he never even gives them a passing thought from this point forward. His priorities are on claiming the Doctor's personal belongings from the hospital, which really... That's just a shitty way to live your life, man. Stealing the belongings from some dying hobbit in an emergency room? Why does Lee not care about his dead friends? Who knows what had happened before we were even introduced to his character. Maybe Lee's bros had just admitted to running a train on his mom, and they even had the photograph proof of it. That would explain why the young man never goes home at all during the entire film, even though serious end-of-the-world stakes do get raised later. 
I don't know about you, but even if I found out that my mom once let my closest friends give her the rotisserie chicken treatment, if I knew that all of existence was going to end tonight, I'd still want to stop by and say goodbye to her. I just wouldn't let her give me a kiss. Anyway, the doctor is taken to a hospital, and he ends up dying in the emergency room. And this is where I tell you that up until this point, he'd been played by Sylvester McCoy, who was the seventh incarnation of the doctor in the television series. But after he goes tits up, the baton is passed to Doctor Number 8, who is played by Paul McGann, who I thought was not only fine as the doctor, I actually preferred him to McCoy, if for no other reason than I just prefer my doctors to be less Bilbo Baggins and more Aragorn. His introduction has a very Resurrection of Christ feel to it. He steps out of the morgue, still wrapped in a sheet with flowing shoulder-length hair, but no Jesus beard, and the sight of this causes young and fat pre-mad TV Will Sasso to pass out. The master, meanwhile, ends up possessing a paramedic played by Eric Roberts, and when you consider the fact that Eric Roberts really likes to work and will take on any job handed to him, including advertisements for motorcycle clubs, Club Eagle Rider, ever heard of these guys? For 29 bucks a month, you don't have to worry about your old lady nagging you about taking up space in the garage because they give you the garage. And walk in bathtubs. As an actor, I'm proud to do my own stunts, but my body's not always so thrilled. American Standard has been the leader in bathroom products for over 140 years. Getting home each night is like heaven when I walk into my tub. It's not hard to imagine maybe this paramedic is supposed to be the real Eric Roberts, making some extra dough between movies, commercials, television shows, and music videos. This is made even more believable when Eric Roberts' wife, Eliza Roberts, shows up later in the film in the role of Eric Roberts' wife. I'm not bagging on Eric Roberts, by the way. I'm just pointing out that it's fairly obvious that if there's a paycheck attached, he'll take it. Why don't people like talking about erectile dysfunction? Because it's erectile dysfunction. I mean, what's to talk about? My weenie isn't working. I think he's awesome. And based on his appearance in Paul Thomas Anderson's 2014 film adaptation of Inherent Vice, he's still got it. Now, you can argue that his performance in this film might not fit what you define as the word good, but I dug and you can tell he's having a blast doing it. And typical of Mr. Roberts, he puts in 100%. I always dress for the occasion. Well, I'm glad to see that you are aware of the gravity of the situation. I never liked this planet, Doctor. Well, that's good, because any minute now it shall cease to exist. What's the time? Time enough for me to get my body, get out of here, and take Lee with me. Lee is the son I have always yearned for. Oh, please. So the doctor sets off to find Eric Roberts, who is now decked out in a leather jacket and sunglasses ensemble that made me wish that I lived in an alternate universe where Eric Roberts played the Terminator. With the help of stupid gullible Lee, Roberts opens the Eye of Harmony, which I guess is to the TARDIS what the flux capacitor was to Doc Brown's DeLorean. The Eye of Harmony also has the potential to mess with the fabric of time and space in the most severe manner possible. Because this is all happening on New Year's Eve, the Doctor has until the stroke of midnight to stop Eric Roberts before it all goes to shit, as I alluded to earlier while talking about my friends banging my mom. By the way, it hurt just to even say that, but sometimes you have to commit to the nasty shit that spills out of your head in an attempt to make these ramblings remotely entertaining. This is what I do for you. 
and my hungry ego. Because this film was intended to revive and continue the Doctor Who series, it was also made as a sort of repilot in an effort to garner new fans, namely the goddamn Yanks across the pond. And so as a convenient way to explain the going-ons to newbies while not boring the seasoned fans, the tellers behind this story give the newly regenerated Doctor amnesia. As the plot thickens, he realizes what his own deal and reason for being is, in turn helping Joe and Jane Murica, who are watching this at home on the Fox Network, realize Doctor Who's whole deal and reason for being. Oh, that Joe and Jane Murica, now that there is a couple made for each other. Love at first sight it was. They both grew up in a small town with true American values, working for a living, unlike these lazy goddamn millennials who expect to have everything handed to them. And now here they are, in the current year of 1996, as they sit back and eat freshly popped pop-secret movie theater-flavored microwave popcorn. Watching this weird movie on the TV about some guy from either England or Australia, it's the same thing. And he's chasing after Julia Roberts' brother from Star 80. And hey Jane, who's the lady he's with the whole time? Well, Joe, that there is Dr. Grace Holloway, the cardiologist who figured something was up with this gunshot victim because his x-rays showed that he had two hearts, and her suspicions were confirmed after said gunshot victim came back to life. So now you have Dr. Holloway helping out the doctor, which I guess makes her his new companion. But here's my question. Having only a passing knowledge of the television series, has the doctor ever macked on one of his companions before? Because that's what happens here. He and she have themselves a little kissy smooch smooch action. And if you'll excuse me, I'm about to shoot myself in the face for saying little kissy smooch smooch action. Ladies, if you're ever in the sad position of being my date and somewhere along the way I ask for a little kissy kissy smooch smooch action, you have every right to cancel my creepy ass on some old Louis C.K. shit as if I had blocked the exit and asked you to do that for me. Not that I would ever have the balls to do something like that, cornering you and asking you for a little kissy smooch smooch action. Besides, it's not like I'm in some position of power to help or hinder your career. I'm just me. So all a move like that would get me is a swift punch to the nose. And as I fall to the ground in a pathetic crumple, trying to stop the blood from gushing out my snout, you walk past me triumphantly to the strains of a Beyonce song, stepping out the door while calling me a little dick motherfucker. And I just don't need that kind of pain and humiliation in my life. Not like Dr. Holloway is having any better luck on the dating circuit. Early in the film, she gets paged during a night out with her boyfriend at the opera and has to leave to attend to her life-saving duties. This frustrates her boyfriend and he ends up packing up his things from her place and walks out on her. This Val Kilmer stand-in-looking motherfucker is a real lame-ass. I mean, dude, you could have just married that chick and then eventually you would have had some of that sweet, sweet doctor cash coming your way. Of course, that's just what I think. And this is coming from a guy who would have no problem with my partner being the primary breadwinner in our relationship. The only time I would have an issue with that would be knowing that every time we'd have a serious argument, she could always pull that card on me. And at any time, she could be like, then why don't you go get a fucking job and stop leeching off me? How about rather than writing those stupid ramblings about horror movie marathons, you go fucking get a job so I don't have to support your lame ass. My father was right. I never should have dated outside of my race. Speaking of race, the two doctors raced their way towards the film's mid-90s television-budgeted computerized special effects extravaganza, a.k.a. the climax. But then a motorcycle cop gets in the way, stopping them. And so the doctor pulls out a bag of jelly beans from his coat and offers it to the policeman in order to distract him. It's a good thing the doctor is as lily-white as the cop. If the doctor were a man of the darker persuasion and instead of Doctor Who, he was Doctor Boo, I think 
there are about 41 ways, all of them the same, that it could have gone as soon as the doctor reached for those jelly beans. I'm going to go ahead and spoil a big part of this, so just skip ahead about a minute or two if it really makes a difference. But by the end of the film, a number of people have died, including Lee and Dr. Holloway. After the doctor defeats the master, he then turns back time, and suddenly this golden mist comes out of the Eye of Harmony and goes into the dead bodies of Lee and Holloway and Shazam. His friends are now alive again. So wait a minute. What was that golden mist, and why did it come out of the eye? Was that mist supposed to be their souls? Is the eye a gateway into the afterlife? Are heaven and hell just a big part of that whole timey-wimey, wibbly-wobbly mess? Should I really just relax? To add further confusion, the doctor then sends them to the first day of the year 2000. So does that mean that he only brought Lee and Holloway back, while all the other poor schmucks like the various security guards, the non-possessed version of Eric Roberts, and even Eric Roberts' wife stay dead? That's not fair, dude. Either change all of it or none of it. Don't just pick and choose what to fuck with, determining who gets to live and who has to die. I mean, who the fuck are you, Doctor Who? Okay, enough of that. So here's the deal, folks. I am not what they call a Whovian, but I have seen a few episodes, and like I said earlier, I have a passing knowledge of the program, at least enough to be able to sound like I know what I'm talking about, should I find myself in a conversation with real Whovians, and I can always bullshit the rest. But what I'm about to say could possibly expose me as a fake to those people. Doctor Who, the movie doesn't feel that much different from the series. I can't fault the film for not letting us get to know the characters beyond a basic surface level that is relevant to the plot at hand. Had this Doctor Who reboot slash continuation been picked up as a series, I'm sure they would have delved deeper into what makes the characters of Lee and Holloway tick, to say nothing of the Doctor himself. As for everything else, I don't know what the general consensus among Whovians is when it comes to this movie, but I thought it was just fine. I mean, I've seen better episodes than this film, but they're all about the same when it comes to their overall entertainment value. While I'm at it, let me piss off another group of hardcore fans of a popular science fiction fantasy property. The Star Wars movies are all more or less equally good to me. I swear to you, I'm not trying to be a contrarian. If anything, it's an opinion I've kept to myself up until now because I'm not looking for a fight. I paid good money to see every one of those movies in the cinema, and I always felt I got my money's worth. Now please, leave me alone. I don't want trouble. Just get out. I'm guessing one reason Doctor Who, the movie, might not be seen in as bright a light as everything else in the Whoverse, or whatever the hell you nerds call it, is that the producers were not only intending to introduce Doctor Who to American audiences, but that it was also going to be an American-centric program, despite being shot in Canada. And the Brits could either love it or leave it, and it wouldn't mean a goddamn thing because what's a little place like the United Kingdom compared to big bad America, right? But, like soccer and the metric system, America rejected this television movie slash backdoor pilot because we had better things to watch on television, like Suddenly Susan. What is it about her? Maybe it's the way she moves across the floor. Maybe it's the way she puffs a stogie. Maybe it's because she's dainty. No one's ever called me that before. <laughs> Brooke Shields in Suddenly Susan premieres NBC Thursday in two weeks. But it did do well on the correct side of the pond, to which I'm sure the same producers then did a 180 and used the UK numbers as a selling point in a desperate attempt to have the show picked up. It wasn't, and it took nearly a decade before it came back and stayed for good. The show currently features a female incarnation of the Doctor, which you know has to be pissing off somebody out there. I'm glad the show has a huge following and all, but 
when it comes to watching a time-traveling do-gooder on television? Give me Quantum Leap any old day. That's right, I said that shit. Quantum Leap, bitches. I lied about not wanting any trouble. Now fight me, cowards. Oh, boy. You people are all the same. This has been the Exiles from Contentment podcast, recorded live in front of an empty room. Exiles from Contentment has been brought to you by anger, paranoia, resentment, depression, low self-esteem, and rally cigarettes, now with less nicotine and less throat irritants. Remember, lady and gentlemen, if your cigarette tastes different, smoke rally. Episodes of this podcast can be downloaded at efcontentment.podbean.com. That's E as in EGADS. This asshole's podcast is terrible. F as in fuck this asshole's terrible podcast. Contentment as in something this asshole hasn't felt in a very long time. Dot pod as in podcast as in everybody's got their own goddamn podcast nowadays. And bean as in what the Mexican-American host of this podcast probably eats every day. Am I right, real Americans? The Exiles from Contentment podcast can also be downloaded at exilesfromcontentment.blogspot.com. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter as EF Contentment, all one word. Follow or friend us so we can then immediately have your tweets and posts muted in order for us to have a higher friend and follower count while pretending that we care about you. You can also email us at exiledfromcontentment at gmail.com. Until our next ramblings, this is Princess Sparkle for the Exiled from Contentment podcast saying take care and be well.